Well, that was good fun. A 0-0 draw for Norwich City against Preston at Carrow Road. Another corking game of football, full of entertainment. Everyone left with a massive smile on their face, if you're connected with Preston, at least. Welcome to this week's edition of the Pinkin.com Norwich City podcast. Now, if you're watching us on YouTube, you might have noticed a few cosmetic changes, just one or two. Um, we have a sponsorship. Uh, if you're watching this, try and guess what that sponsorship is. Uh, we've tried to make it as subtle as possible. If you're listening, I'll uh, reintroduce the podcast. This is the Pinkin.com Norwich City podcast, sponsored by Coleman's of Norwich, Mustard, Paddy. Do you like a big fan of Mustard? You're, you are now contractually yeah, obliged. absolutely <laughs> love it. I've got my toast in the morning. <laughs> Ham sandwiches, that sort of thing. Yeah, you know, my spaghetti bolognese in the evening. Yeah, can't recommend it highly enough. What about you, Connor? You, you're such an eclectic man with your food tastes. Do you, do you know what? Actually, I had a jar here. So I went and, and purchased some jars of Coleman's mustard and I, I tried some in the week. I actually quite liked it. So I, I'm, I'm not even uh, displaying myth there. And I'm told these, which are, um, this is a mustard powder, shows my range of knowledge on mustard. Very good in scones. That's what I'm told. So there you go. And, and as you can see as well, we've got some um, brilliant, iconic Norwich City shirts from when, when would that have been? About the late 90s, weren't it? When yeah. Coleman's were the, the front of shirt sponsor. So we've got, if, just to run you through them, uh, we've got the blue training top here, goalkeeper shirt in the middle. Then we've got a red training top on the end there. Uh, this yellow one, which I might actually stand up and um, show you, is... Oh. That was worn by Mr. Daryl Russell and is signed as such. Uh, what season would that have been? Anyone from knowledge? 98, I seem to think. 98. And then we've got uh, two of the away kits there, sponsored by Coleman's as well. We must say thank you to uh, Billy Pointer from NCFC yeah, Shirts, who has very kindly lent these uh, to us, which is brilliant. And as you can see, Darren Eady himself already had Coleman's on. It was uh, a bit of foreshadowing on our part. Now wearing a very nice Coleman's shirt as well. So thank you very much for them, for their support. Um, really appreciate it. And we're going to have a segment in the show about bringing the heat and who brought the heat to uh, to this Carrow occasion. So I'll, I'll let the lads have a little bit of a think about that. But we will um, start with the game that just unfolded. A goalless draw for Norwich City. Um, some, uh, Paddy, there's a saying, isn't there? One step forward, one step back. I don't think it was quite that, but it was probably one step forward, one step sideways maybe for Norwich City. Definitely an opportunity missed. Well, I'd more likely say it was probably one step forward. If that's, step if that's Bristol, then just hopping on, on the spot today because uh, missed opportunity, really missed that upward mobility, whatever you think about Wagner and their longer term chances and prospects this season, if they have any, that's your, you know, that's for another day. But in the here and now, off the back of three wins in four, two home games, Preston being the first today, Sheffield Wednesday got upcoming now. Real chance to, you know, build on what felt like, yeah, they are lying in the sand in the last few games. And, OK, it's a point. David Wagner is at pains to point out that's the second consecutive clean sheet at home. Irrefutable facts. But um, in terms of their output in the forward areas, and but he's he, he hit the nail on the head for me after the game. Not ruthless enough, not clinical enough. And as a result... Um, we're going to have to, a job on here stretching this to an hour to dissect um, Norwich nil, Preston nil, because they were equally unambitious um, arriving at Carrow off the back of three straight defeats. And they looked like a team who were do, going to do anything they could to get back on that coach to head north with a point. Or if one of their set-piece plays came off, and it almost did, um, we'll get into that in due course. But uh, 
just a mark in time game and, and does nothing to assuage the sort of fears at the direction of travel, which is just going to be an endless win a few, lose a few, throw a draw in there or two and just hovering around where they are now in the table, which is nowhere realistically in the in the conversation for the top six or even higher than that. So a mark in time day and what feels like a mark in time season until, you know, some some real tangible signs that, you know, Ben Napper's influence is starting to bear for me. Yeah, agreed. I mean, Sam, while, while these two were, were sunning themselves for, uh, uh, for for the afternoon that we had to spend watching QPR, I mean, we've had to sit through both of those 90 minutes. Um, oh, tough. Yeah, it has been, uh, it's not been extremely entertaining viewing and I do just feel really quite bad for those fans who have paid significant money to be there for um, probably, you know, well, obviously more than 180 minutes of the most boring football they would have witnessed at Carrow Road in recent times. There are probably a few fans, um, depending on where they were, when they were born, who haven't seen many more boring games than either of those two, and they've come back-to-back in home fixtures. And we spoke going into it about how, and Wagner did as well, to be fair, about how important it was that they found a bit of form at home, found the level of performance that they haven't um, for a while, really, at Carrow Road and for me they didn't do that away from home there have been signs of if not entertainment then at least progression and I thought at Bristol there were a couple of moments where they looked fairly dangerous on the county look at Adam Eder's winning goal and those away supporters had that moment to savour what do these home fans have really this is you know at home is supposed to be the time when you you take it to teams and you attack and you play aggressively and they had most of the ball in this game but it wasn't really the sort of attacking or intent that probably you'd like to see um, from from a team in a home game, especially against the championship's you know most struggling team at the moment. And the position Ryan Lowe was in going into it, and the way that he spoke about it, probably told you how much of of I don't want to say a given, but it was it should have been close to that really for Norwich if they still have those ambitions of. Reaching the playoffs, I think even in um, in Zoe Weber's column ahead of the game today, she said that they had a target of reaching the playoffs, right? So, based on on that marker, this is the sort of game that should be pretty close to a given, and it felt like it took seventy five minutes for them to really wake up and and realise they had to go and win it, and from there they didn't really have the quality to go and create the chances that that would have required anyway. Obviously, that one Shane Duffy header that was... Liam Gibbs. Yeah, I mean, well, yeah, Liam Gibbs not scoring is probably where that game's won and lost, but they probably should have created even more than that. They should have been more clinical, you know, ruthless, as as Paddy said, was hit the nail on the head, really, when when Wagner summed it up post-match. And um, just generally, it felt... It didn't feel like a, a home team that has ambitions of promotion. It felt like two quite struggling mid-table championship teams and that's what it looks like um, they'll end up being really probably come the end of the season and throughout most of it both of those teams um, for me I thought Paddy was right when he said that this game sort of encompassed a lot of aspects of the season so far it was a uh, it really summed up quite a lot of the the problems that they've had um, yeah it wasn't an entertaining watch and if you looked at pre-season that was probably where we were saying it was going to go but then from those early months you saw how well things could go when they all clicked but I just wonder if they're likely to really click like that again um, you know again it's 
it's a case of asking these big existential questions about the long term and it's probably it's probably getting a bit boring now that we keep making those points but you can actually see where the, those bigger problems are in every performance and I didn't think today was any different. Yeah, drift, isn't it? I, th- I think that what, what we're seeing with Norwich City at the moment, there's different type of games. So uh, QPR is a good example. That's one where they didn't have a lot of the ball. They had to soak up uh, maybe not pressure in terms of clicker opportunities, but certainly in terms of, of not having the ball. They almost played the role that perhaps Preston did this afternoon, but obviously won that game. Um, wasn't particularly convincing. Then they have a game like today when they have loads of possession. They can't create chances. Not very convincing. Or even even the games that they've they've won recently, Bristol City. They go away from home. They um, obviously concede first. They, they there's an, a, a fortunate own goal. They don't have a shot until Adamida puts the ball in. It was it was unconvincing. QPR unconvincing. Cardiff um, for for large spells was was unconvincing. That's the fear, isn't it, at the moment, Adam? Those those performances really don't seem to be shifting, and and that does create that inconsistency. Because if you if you're consistently inconsistent, that that bears fruit in 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 the results that we're seeing at this moment in time. Yeah, I, th- I think the fact that you can sort of look at the the theme of the sort of the, the games and the way they've gone. I mean, the Cardiff game was literally turned in a two or three minute spell. They've sort of got a little bit of luck in in the Bristol City game in the you know a chance landed at Adam Eder at the end of the game to, to take all three points from Ashton Gate. Um, QPR game was more kind of just uh, back to the wall from what I sort of saw. Got the, the quality that they needed uh, in this first half there to get the goal and then sort of defended for their lives to, to cling on to the victory. And then today, much of the same really, not really creating any opportunities particularly until maybe the impact players off the bench almost it in John Rowe. I thought Borja signs, I think I've seen a few people on socials kind of mention it, that maybe the the lack of creativity point that David Wagner referenced it in his sort of post-match is you look at the starting eleven again, you've got Ono Hernandez who hasn't really contributed any goals or assists for quite a sustained period of time now. You've got Fashnak who hasn't really been the same player since sort of the, the early part of the season. Um, Ashley Barnes, doesn't, I really can't say I've seen anything from him in recent games that really provides me with kind of any hope that he's the, the long-term answer in terms of goal scoring or, or you know even chance creation. Um, Adam Eder doesn't really look like the same player still at the moment uh, when he starts games compared to when he comes off the bench. The impact off the bench, kind of the, the pace and physicality seems to be able to, to change games. Um, whether this will all kind of maybe gel a little bit more when Sargent's back because it felt like that was probably the spell where Norwich were at the start of the season creating opportunities. They were scoring goals for fun. If anything, the problem was defensively where now they've maybe almost resurrected and and sorted that issue in that they've now kept two clean sheets in the last two home games. Um, Bristol, they were pretty solid for the majority of the game. Of course, Gunny being back is is huge in that as well. But yeah, I think it just reinforces the point that the performances uh, are nowhere near really where they need to be. I mean, the results certainly aren't aren't mirroring the performance on on the pitch. I think Norwich are definitely riding their luck at the moment. And it's just that little bit of quality, maybe at different points that are getting them through. You know, he just sort of finished the the quality that was required in that, you know, to finish it off at at that sort of point in the game. And yeah, you know, Norwich are not going to be a a side that's fighting relegation this season in my eyes, but it's certainly a a team that you look at kind of the the teams that have come down to Carrow this season, the the Leeds and the Leicesters, they're nowhere near the levels that that those teams are in terms of consistency and performances that, that, you know, are matching the results that those teams are getting. Yeah, it's 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 interesting how you broke down the front four there because it's it's a good point. I mean, Paddy's excluded from this because I've already thrown this at him. But uh, Onel Hernandez, last goal at, at Carrow Road. Can can you remember when that was, either of you? 
I'll give you a clue and say it was four years ago. Uh, Man United when they lost 3-1? Correct. Yeah, that's, that's, so that's the last time that, that he scored at Carrow Road. Had a really good opportunity. Well, maybe not a really good opportunity, but definitely an opportunity in the first half that, that lacked a, a little bit of confidence. Ashley Barnes has scored one goal in, in open play. I think Ede is interesting. It, it, when you compare the situations that he's been dropped into where he's being asked to stretch games and, and, and has quite high lines to go and run into, didn't have that today, faced a low block, service wasn't great. It's not ideal, sort of a, a situation for him. Christian Fashnacht, as, as you said, has, has struggled. But this, this all feeds into, and, and you put this question to David Wagner after the game, a, a bigger feeling around home games and Carrow Road games. It feels, and, and Dean Smith had a, a similar issue in, in the Championship last season as well. There does seem to be issues at home in terms of consistency and in terms of certainly consistency of performances, results, but now we're probably talking about entertainment as well. And actually, if you look at David Wagner's record, I think it's um, 20 games at home, eight, uh, eight wins. It's, it's, all, it's all very middling, isn't it? Which kind of feeds into the, the, the points that Adam was making there. Yeah, and it, it does stretch over different head coaches, but essentially it's the same group of fans. And, and a lot of those are now going, wrote about it in my pointers, it feels to me. It's an act of duty now to go there every sort of fortnight or whatever, 10 days. It's, it's not you're, you're going to be excited or entertained or taken off your seat. Uh, and there's something wrong there because clearly if you're, a, if you're a football supporter, you go to see your team play at home um, to be entertained, to be lifted out of your seat. And um, you know, bar that, I think they won three on the spin earlier in the season. If you take that sample out, I mean, you referenced, you know, he's 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 lost more games than he's won as Norwich manager at home at Carrow Road. But take those three, particularly this season, and it's just been an, an, an ending frustration. And um, and when it's tipping in towards apathy as well, and, and maybe people are staying away in, in more numbers than they have done before, and or they're just not in, invested and they're not enthused, it's very hard then given we've got Ben Napper coming in the building to sort of say this is a new new era I'm going to take people on a new journey obviously with Mark Atanasio and his group taking more of a an active role uh, above them uh, in the club but it all feels the same because what's been shown in the shop window i.e. on that pitch at Carrow Road is is more of the same and it, until that changes it won't feel like something fresh something invigorating um and that's that's a worry, and that's and and again it raises questions about is it this head coach who can deliver that? Is it this group of players? Does there have to be change in those areas? Is it something more cultural that Ben Napper has to put in place? But the problem with that is that that's not going to happen overnight. You know, there's already clearly talk that the squad work that needs to go into the the, the profile of this squad that's multiple windows. It's not just January. He's going to wave a magic wand and then everything's going to be fine. Um, so. You know, if you're a fan turning up now, you probably think, well, this is going to take a long, long-term fix. It's not, it's not going to change, and not overnight anyway. And uh, for me, that's what it comes back to: that the messaging now has to be clear from inside the football club and, and consistent, and not only what they say but what they do as well. And um, you know, the patience that those Norwich fans have now had to, sh- to show to endure certainly the last two seasons, and you could probably throw in the, the Premier League season as well. It's just. Uh, you know, it's a real test of their love of their football club because they're not being entertained consistently at home, and um, you know unless you're one of these you know who treks to corners of the of the land to see you know moments, which is all it's been really in this recent upturn. Um, then you know as that Amel Hernandez stat amply illustrates, you know it's not 
good enough by any measure um, what has been produced at Car Road in the last two or three years. And if it's not to change, then you know, then it's very, very concerning what it means in terms of the you know the fan base, the season ticket base. You know, will fans continue to show that devotion and blind faith in many regards because they're certainly not getting evidence on the pitch over a sustained period of time under this head coach and his players to buy into something that feels uplifting and optimistic. I mean, really, it's it's quite a depressing uh, afternoon at Car Road at the moment. And, and I'm saying that as somebody gets paid to be there. So, you know, kudos to people who actually put their hands in their pockets and um, over the last two or three seasons particularly have, have endured it rather than enjoyed it. Yeah, and I, th- I think that point on, on on kind of season tickets is is pertinent because we're we're coming up now. You can see on the horizon the the season ticket renewal dates that tends to be late January, early early February. As I think we said in the, in the last podcast, certainly in, in terms of the supporters panel, there's been discussions of a of a rise again for for supporters. Um, I don't think that's going to be above three percent if it, if if they decide to press ahead with it. But even so, on, on what is already one of the the most expensive, if not the most expensive, season ticket in the second tier. Fans are going to be asking themselves about quality of of product, really, that, that they're seeing at the moment, and and it certainly isn't matching up to the, to the price point that it's being pitched at. And, and I think also there's 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 a broader debate in terms of obviously the, the cost of the living crisis and people making cutbacks and all of those elements. If if something is going up, the enjoyment factor is going down, people aren't getting that that sense of of enjoyment and and and, and what they want from that. And one of the first things that's going to go is is going to be the season ticket ultimately, and this is this is the the difficulty that they're in at the moment. I mean, we've been at Cow Road all season, Sam, and I think the attendance today was was quoted above twenty five thousand. It certainly wasn't that. And 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 again, we were at the AGM, and a question was put to Zoe Weber and about attendances, and she said it's season ticket holders deciding not to turn up. I mean, forget kind of all of the remarks about boo boys and and whingers and percentages, all of that. That in in many ways feels the most damning point. You've got people yeah. <laughs> actively paying the money who have decided that that's it's just not worth going. Well, this is it. How do you expect any of those people who are currently not going, having already paid for it, to decide they're going to not only change their pattern of behaviour that they've got into now of not going to the games, but pay more money to do it? You know, unless they start really churning out those types of performances that are going to make people feel like they're missing out when they're not at Carrow Road, that isn't going to change. And I think there was something about the way that today unfolded that that probably made it even more difficult to bear for those fans. I think I actually turned to Adam in in sort of halfway through the first half and said, if I was paying, this is probably the game when I, I would have cancelled because, it's you know, there wasn't really much anger. There wasn't much sadness or, or feeling that, this could be changed. It was just sort of silence and apathy. Even the, um, you know, the joint majority shareholder, as she is right now officially, um, described it as church mice. The the atmosphere at Carrow Road, and that's not anywhere near a good thing. At least when you know Dean Smith was taking quite a lot of criticism, and when the atmosphere at Carrow Road was quite toxic, at least people cared and they felt like they. That there was somebody out there probably that that could get more out of this set of players. I think there's genuinely a feeling now at Carrow Road that, yeah, David Wagner isn't the man to take them forward. But until some significant changes are made and this squad is overhauled and probably certain elements of the club um, are overhauled as well, 
that it's not going to make any difference. They're, you know, they might have a coach in that gets them from 13th in the championship now to sort of 8th or 9th, but I don't think there are too many that believe this squad could go and challenge for sort of playoffs or, or promotion. So there is you know, a fairly decent amount of apathy and apathy is probably the worst thing in sales when you're trying to motivate people to, to spend money. As you said, there's obviously a lot of external factors that also come into that. And I'm not sure how wise of a decision um, it is to be considering um, heightening those prices. I'm sure they'll come in for a great deal of criticism. But given those, when, when were those prices set? Was that did they go up again before this year? Or but oh, you're testing me. Well, whatever whatever point they were, it was looking at it with the goal of promotion and thinking, or hoping at least, that this was a team that could go and win a lot of games at home and challenge for those top six places how are they looking at it now and the product that they're serving up for people now the you know based on the table the 13th best product in the league and still one of the most expensive and deciding they need to charge even more to be there I, d- I don't know how that decision ends up getting made and, and why what what the rationale is behind that but I don't think it will be received especially well and I don't think it will be it will generate especially good sales, there will obviously always be that core of supporters that will just be renewing, to be honest, until the end of their lives or until it becomes completely inconvenient or impossible for them. But for those who are inclined to take a real considered decision every year and those probably who who are struggling financially, they're not really providing them with, with much motivation to, to go and renew. So that would be an interesting situation um to follow and ultimately you know as you you sort of said you can use whatever measure you want you can talk about boo boys that is a statistic that come renewals in january they'll be able to point to and see where the decline um is and and sort of what the the number of fans they're losing or not losing fans but losing people putting their hands in their pockets they'll be able to see those statistics laid bare in front of them and maybe that's when there will be a bit more of a realisation that there needs to be some significant changes to quite a lot of things at that club. Yeah, and I think it feeds into the point, Adam, that really you think about the last time that Norwich fans would have seen their team winning at home. It was it was that first promotion season under under Daniel Farker. Since then, it's it's been obviously the Premier League campaign, and then uh, the the back end of that was was COVID. To be honest, they're probably glad they weren't in stadiums because they were bad. Um, then obviously the the, the title win. Um, under, under Daniel Farker again, uh, and then they were back to the Premier League campaign, where which was really difficult, and 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 they amassed a really small number of points, and and they won very few games. Obviously, last season was was difficult. This year has been increasingly difficult as well. Four points from from the last fifteen on offer at Carrow. Now David Wagner would 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 um, counter that by saying, well, those those four have come in the last two games, and Norwich have kept two clean sheets. But again, it's it's the the. If, if you want to use a Neil Adamsism, it's it's the round the edges element of this. It's it's not as 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 Sam pointed out there. The entertainment isn't there. The the consistency of performances or results are there. But also maybe that, that identity isn't there. I've spoken to a lot of fans over the over the last two months or so, really, that have kind of gone. I don't really know what what Norwich are trying to do or what they're trying to be or where they're trying to go. And um, which is why for me, you read in in program notes, you know, aims of playoffs and stuff like this. I I just think it it's you almost need to stop that now. It needs it needs to go back to basics. It needs to be about processes and, and putting stuff in place now. Um, 
And if, if that means that Norwich get in the playoffs this year, great. That's an added bonus. But I, I think there does need to be a degree of realism with it. But I've gone off on a tangent. Um, those fans, my point is they've had to endure a lot of really turgid stuff. And, and really inconsistent stuff and not all at Premier League level which part of, of Smith's reign was it's, it's, it's difficult for them isn't it and um, I thought they were good today actually they, they, they could have turned they could have got frustrated they didn't they kept with them I think there were, there were a few boos at the final whistle you, you, would, you would expect that but overall I, I think considering what they've, what they've kind of I don't want to say been put through because they're paying to be there ultimately but for what they've been served up it's, it's, it's been pretty horrendous the, the last few years yeah, I was actually speaking to a friend of mine this week and we were sort of talking about previous seasons and he was saying even kind of those difficult periods in the Championship where when they came down under under Alex Neil, they were actually really good at home. They sort of beat teams like Brentford 5-0. The entertainment was pretty good even in a season where maybe they finished kind of the 8th, 9th and maybe there was still that sort of enticement to, to renew and see what the next season brought. This season doesn't really feel like there is that excitement because... There is no, uh, to me, there's not really been a clear sort of anyone come out and said, look, this is the, this is the vision that we, we have for the future. This is the way we want to take the club moving forwards. It just feels like everyone's kind of almost pushing it under the carpet a little bit and just sort of saying, oh, you know, everything's fine. And, you know, we'll just continue in the, in the same manner we are, where I think almost what sort of in a similar vein when they had it kind of, they sat Dallas Steele, they brought in Alan Irvine. And I think what was quite clear was their communication through the football club that, you know, through Stuart Webber mainly really when he first came in this is the idea that we have moving forwards this is the the goal in three years time we want to be in the Premier League or five years time we want to be doing this and we want to be a top 20 club and it's alright you know then if you don't achieve those aims fair enough but at least they've been set out in stone and maybe you can see the active changes being made to try and reach those levels at the moment it just feels like a club that's very much in limbo you've kind of got Napa looking to try and sort of bring down the, the age profile of the squad yet in the summer they you know, dramatically turned the the squad from a, what was against Blackpool on the final day, a very young squad, to a squad that's now sort of averaging thirty plus in terms of age profile. Um, and there is just to me no real clear, you know, this this is the plan moving forwards. I know it's difficult for them maybe to to message message certain things, you know, because at the moment you've got David Wagner in charge, and I think there's probably a little bit of uncertainty still amongst the fan base about him moving forwards and and sort of what maybe whether he aligns with what Napa's trying to trying to do moving forwards. Um, I thought like even at the AGM, don't want to harp on about it too much, but maybe there was a lack of a lack of or a missed opportunity almost in, in a way that they didn't message, you know, what the plans were moving forwards. I thought Atanasio probably did try to try to message that a little bit, but of course it was only a select group of shareholders slash fans that were in the room to, to hear that. So I think probably a lot of it does boil down to kind of the internal plan not being communicated or, or if there is an internal plan at all because at the moment it just feels like a club that's kind of just continuing day by day without really doing anything to to really get the fans back on board uh, with something to buy into that will make them want to go to Carrow Road excited about what the future might hold even if you know at the moment they have to endure what isn't maybe the the best on the pitch. Yeah, and I don't think it's a case of, um, you know, maybe as, as some people have pitched, everything's rubbish and, and, and whatnot. I think it's just a, it's just stale, isn't it? It's just it's just kind of stale. They're not they're drifting is is, is the word I would, I would use at the moment. And, and, and that backdrop, Paddy, makes it very hard for Ben Napper. And I don't want to make this a, a criticism of Ben Napper because he's been in the door for, what, three, four weeks. But it, it's why this kind of, you know, uh, willingness to take a calculated approach, which is the right one, absolutely, because you have to come to the right, decisions on things and they have to be clear and correct ultimately 
But again, he's, he's kind of come in against a backdrop of real frustration where we're kind of talking about fans who've had to endure a lot of difficulty over a prolonged period of time. So you've got someone there asking for time, but Norwich fans are kind of going, well, how, why, why should we give you time? And I think, I think that, that, that confliction is, is really interesting. And then it's kind of, at what point does this, this shift begin to, to, to change? If, if those plans are for, for the long, uh, is, it, is it January that Norwich have to, or Norwich fans have to wait to see kind of some of this being enacted? Is it before then? It, that, that I think, is, is where the confusion comes because it creates the perception that they're, that they're kind of sitting on their hands, which I'm sure isn't the case. Um, what, what do you make at the moment? Drift, drift feels like the, the accurate word. I'm, I'm sure other people will go for average, use other words as applicable. Um, <laughs> Maybe more derogatory if you wish, but that kind of feels like, like where it is. I mean, are Norwich just a, a mid-table, run-of-the-mill championship club now? Is, is, that, is that where they are and what they are? Well, in the here and now purely based on the league table and what they've served up to pretty much the, the halfway turn, then that's what they are, yes. But there are there are reasons for me still um, to believe that they can be more than that. Not historical, recent history, because they have, have shown they can be more than that. But just... And we'll, we'll, we'll bring it back round to Napa. I, I like a lot of what he says. And, and, and I thought even at that AGM, you know, what he said, you got a sense that this is a, a very deep thinker about the game who is fully immersed in this data revolution that is underpinning top level football you don't really need to have a, a, a mathematical science degree to, to really understand the nuance of it but but you know that in all walks of life but but clearly in top level football now that it's massively important to unleash um, or maximise maybe the, the the potential they've got because they haven't got the deepest pockets we know that um, but there are areas that they can be a lot better and ahead of the curve, and um, and with this guy at the helm, I think they're at least signalling we're going to try and move in that direction. It might not come off, um, but at least it is an attempt to reinvent themselves, as it was in 2017 when they unveiled this alien concept of, in England, anyway, of a sporting director appointing a you know a foreign head coach. You know that was quite out of the box thinking for, from a, from an English football club in the top levels of the game and um, and it paid off you know handsomely in many respects so with him Atanasio as well again from the AGM performance and, and, the, and the, the round of interviews he did with, with the media yeah and what we know about his backstory a his financial acumen and, and what he's a successful businessman that he is but also his 18 19 years custodianship with the Brewers and how they've competed against far deeper pocketed rivals in MLB Major League Baseball those two driving it I think there is grounds for optimism and grounds to feel they are more than a mid-table championship entity but you know it's this dichotomy that you've got that but then you've got many vestiges of the past both in the board still and because he's not Ben Napper's appointee David Wagner and and then to take Adam's point, you know, a transfer window which was completely at odds. And we've had it reinforced in recent days. Anthony Rickens, the finance and operations director, talking in a football business uh, interview about, no, the plan is maybe not to be wholly reliant on player trading, but it's an absolutely key pillar, as it was under the Weber era, um, to have players of resale value, young players, developing players. That's not what they did in the last summer window. They went completely the opposite end of the spectrum, which really cuts to the heart of the matter of, what was the thinking inside the building because it just looks confused it looks contradictory and now unfortunately Ben Napper has to deal with that and untangle that 
and that's going to take time. And I think this is the problem. And as you said, there, Connor, he comes in with a, I'm only in the building for X amount of weeks, which is true. But equally, and we've discussed it at length in terms of the car road factor, Norwich fans have had to endure this for two slash two and a half seasons now. And, and, um, I don't think they necessarily feel that you know Ben Napper can be afforded another season to have a look at this and take a, a more considered view. So he's having to deal with that, and that feels like an inherent contradiction. But again, it comes back to the messaging, comes back to the communication. And I think, and you touched on it there, January will be the first sign. And what I did think was very intriguing was when we put that to Wagner on Thursday, knowing that there was these talks planned about the January window and the strategy, it was the, even the terminology used, Ben has explained his ideas and I'm on board with them. It wasn't, I didn't get a sense that it was David Wagner going in, which was maybe, from what we're led to believe, far more the case in the last summer window, him actively wanting ex-players going out, Stuart Webber obviously then bringing them over the line. No, my sense from those block of quotes was very much, Ben Napple will set the course of travel in January, he will have to row in behind it. So that is a very clear signal for me that we are embarking on a different course, but Alas, um, probably because they've got to unpick a lot of damage from the last two or three years, and particularly the last summer window, it's not a quick fix. And Norwich fans have to understand that. And, and if it's messaged correctly, I'm sure they will, because they were in this position in 2017, where there were maybe even more pressing issues in terms of the financial situation. That doesn't, as we keep getting told, appear to be the case now with, with Atanasio and the Norfolk Holdings Group and, and that financial backstop. So there isn't that pressure. And again, Rickens reiterated it. They will not have to sell a Zara or a row in January to plug the 70, 80, 90 million pounds worth of borrowings that they, the last set of accounts mapped out. That's a positive. That's different from 2017. So I think there are factors that are similar, but there is also some far more positive trends that Norwich under Napa and Atanasio's stewardship can drive forward. But... Sadly, I don't think it's going to be a quick fix because that's not how it works. Not when you're dealing with, with this situation now um, and you look at plenty of other clubs and, and the turnaround, it, it hasn't happened instantaneously. Um, and it didn't happen instantaneously under Weber and Farker where you can all bask in the eighteen nineteen memories, but there was a there was a seventeen eighteen which was pretty grim and, and pertinent to where they end up next weekend. They finished below Ipswich that season and the football was equally anemic and lifeless as we saw again this afternoon against Preston. There was plenty of those type of games in that 18, sorry, 17-18 season under Farker's tenure. So I fear the medicine will be painful in the short term. Um, but I think the first clear signal will be where Napa goes in January. And, and these exciting ideas that Wagner alluded to, let's see them, what they look like tangibly. And then Norwich fans can start to begin to see the wheel turning. But, you know... Ultimately, it probably does come back to who's in the dugout and who's leading the footballing side of it. And if it's still David Wagner moving forward, uh, you know things will have to dramatically improve in terms of him and how he's coaching this group of players. Because again, today, it was pretty evident that they look pretty poorly coached to me. Which brings us nicely to our uh, Coleman's Mustard 
who brought the heat segment. Um, you can interpret this in, in any way you like. I'm going to throw it to, to the guys. I'm, I'm going to go first. It'd be good if we could get different answers, but I understand in, in the circumstances of that game, <laughs> we may not get different answers. So I'll go first. I, I, I'm going to go with Marcelino Nunez oh. for the reason that I, I thought at, at Bristol City there was real encouragement in his performance. I think we saw that again today. Uh, it had some absolutely splendid yellow and green boots on as well. Um, but in, in terms of technically and the way he, he moved the ball and, and, and some of his work in possession, I thought that was very positive today. So I'm going for Marcelino Nunez. Did you consider Chile in that, in that argument? What, what when we talk Chile? about bringing the heat? Ah, I should have done, but yeah, I didn't. I thought I've, my uh, brain's was, He was my second choice for that, that reason, but um, I'm going to go Shane Duffy for one really moment one moment in the second half. Uh, I think there was a, there was a bit of uh, imp- impatience. I don't I, I don't want to say impatience because I think they were probably right to question him, but he was frustration. yeah frustration maybe that at his at the pace with which he was bringing the ball out of defence. And after he'd passed it, he did seem to turn to a section of the the south stand, and um, I suppose given what for to an extent. So I'd say that was sort of bringing the heat. As you say, there weren't weren't too many options from that game, but. Um, that was a bit of a tense moment, so yeah, Shane Duffy. Was it was it Snodgrass and the snake bit back in the day? They had an exchange, didn't they? I don't think it was quite those levels, but there was definitely a glance. I don't know if anyone was said, but there was, yeah, definitely definitely a glance. Uh, Paddy might have to rack his brains because I'm coming to him last. It's Adam? Fin, it's a thin, yeah, it's a thin pool if we can't go repeating the end to I'm going to go with uh, Liam Gibbs when he was warming up. Uh, there was a section of the, the snake pit particularly that were which aren't in clap if you don't like it, switch time not those words directly because I can't use them but um, he did turn around and gave a little bit of a clap um, and I think that was kind of a, a good moment for what's obviously to come in uh, next week and uh, yeah I think John Rowe as well was quite involved in kind of getting the the Johnny Rowe chant going so those two I think warming up that was probably the, the moment that uh, probably stood out for me. Well I mean <laughs> where, where, do I, where do I go with that? I mean if we take chance um, then there was around about 20 minute mark the snake pit again came out with uh, something about the 20% didn't they which felt to me given it was allowed a... to still be talking about that well, well you didn't laugh at me too much in the way of alternatives really if I can't repeat but um, but I don't know if it was orchestrated but the fact that it was around about the 20 minute mark and it was a reference to the percentage who are less than uh, proactive in their backing of the team in the opinion of a certain individual in the Cairo boardroom I thought there was a but it, I mean, it was pretty isolated. I didn't. I mean, there wasn't anything else less than 20%, of that nature. Yeah. So, um, yeah, that was. I wouldn't call it heat necessarily, but it was. Uh, yeah, it was a re- reasonably amusing interlude in what was a pretty drab affair, really. So um, it'd be nice to have a few more on the pitch to choose from, really, wouldn't it, Connor? Yeah, the fact that uh, you've both gone for, or well, all three of you really have gone for aspects away from the game maybe shows the, the, the type of affair it was. But when you know Norwich start drawing games 4-4 again, this will be a really interesting segment. So, <laughs> so yeah, um, which probably lends us nicely to speak about the week that's on the horizon. Sam, this, this kick-started a, a very busy week for, for Norwich City. Um, I, I personally felt that they, they probably needed to win the, the two home games. I think yeah. fours... Four's not, four points isn't the end of the world, but it definitely does put more pressure on, on Wednesday, um, both the day and the team. Mm-hmm. Um, because Norwich have to feels like they, they they absolutely have to win that game now going into, obviously, next week's derby. Yeah, I'd agree with that. Obviously, it's your last chance to build any momentum. And Ipswich probably underscored that they wouldn't be losing any of theirs with a 2-0 win over Middlesbrough, who, although I think they're 12th at the moment or in and around the mid-table, are 
definitely a very, very good side. And, and uh, you'd look at that game and say that travelling to them would have been um, quite a difficult a difficult game for Ipswich. But they they dealt with that one very easily. Um, so I don't think they're going to go away in that sense. So Norwich probably need to generate a bit of their own momentum and a bit of their own good feeling. That was a word that came out of Wagner's mouth going into this one quite a lot, actually, was momentum. And he clearly wanted to pick up on and build on the results that they've they've got in the last few weeks, maybe add a bit of performance to that and um, try and sort of improve um, how it looked on the pitch. And yeah, Sheffield Wednesday is their last chance to do that. I do worry a little bit, based on today's game, how they're going to do it, because you looked at that and they really, really struggled to break someone down, created probably a couple of... Ch- they probably created enough chances for a couple of good Premier League strikers to win the game. But when you haven't got as as much by way of predatory instinct as um, maybe some of the teams around them do, they need to create more chances and they are really, really struggling with that. So then when the team that's rooted to the bottom of the championship comes to Carrow Road, probably employs a similar plan, sits behind the ball and allows Norwich to have a decent amount of it to try and create their own chances especially in that home environment where um, yeah, it's, it's probably going to be quite quiet unless they give give those, those fans something to, to shout about. Um, then you do sort of wonder where those chances are going to come from and how they're going to manage to break down a defence that probably will be quite stubborn. So while on the face of it, it's probably a game that a lot of Norwich fans have been looking at for a while, thinking that'll be a a decent momentum builder going into the derby, I think it, it might be slightly more difficult than meets the eye, especially with um, with Wednesday, obviously, the team, with Sheffield Wednesday, um, improving their form slightly uh, over the last few weeks. And then you take that into the fact they've got less than three days to prepare for that Ipswich game, and it, it looks like it will be quite a tough week um, for me, and I'm sure we'll, we'll get onto the derby, not only in this pod, but in various other forms of content. But for me, Norwich are probably relying on those old derby cliches of form going out of the window and of it being different to, to normal games. Because if that's not the case, then you'd expect them to be picked off by a very good Ipswich team, to be honest. But hopefully they can build some momentum going into it. And although Sheffield Wednesday might not be as straightforward as it seems, it's definitely one of the more favourable games that they could choose going into, obviously, what is an absolutely massive weekend for them. Yeah, but, but if we if we focus on on Wednesday on Wednesday uh, and you know cheer or uh, boo maybe uh, as as you see fit, but we we, we are going to do a special pod after Sheffield Wednesday on Wednesday to look ahead to the derby. So um, we we maybe might not touch upon that so much today um, because we don't want to burn valuable content uh, heading in later to the week. So so on Sheffield Wednesday specifically, Adam, I mean a really interesting side. The Danny Roll has has, has got them going really. Um, to, to an extent, a one-one draw against Leicester, uh, and their last two results: three-one win against Blackburn, and, and and a late winner away at Stoke today. It does feel like there, there's been some some improvement from them. Um, maybe, maybe hard not for them not to improve, given how, how poor they were under um, under Munoz earlier on in the season. But I, I don't think anyone should should underestimate this. It, it doesn't feel like one particularly where, where Norwich can just you know turn up and they're, they're going to play a team who are short on confidence. That, that might not be the case now. Yeah, they're also a team that's got 
plenty of sort of championship experience operators in in their team. Of course, someone like Barry Bannon, who's been around the block for years on end, and I've always been, you know, sort of a big fan of his and his technical ability. I think he's probably been almost above Sheffield Wednesday at different points and probably could have moved to a championship top championship end club or even Premier League potentially at different points but it's kind of stuck there through through thick and thin but yeah from the sort of bits and pieces I've seen of them in recent weeks they look like a, a team that's willing to fight their way and, and try and sort of bridge the gap now to the to the sides around them I suppose in that that area of the the table and I think they're now on 13 points and there is some poor teams that are starting to free fall the likes of Birmingham Plymouth um, sides that could easily you know if Sheffield Wednesday were to get a couple more wins on the bounce could easily be pulled um, into the suppose sort of the mill of uh, what is uh, going to be a big Christmas period for, for teams and it's often you know a good opportunity to sort of I suppose bridge bridge gaps between certain areas in the table so they're certainly not a team that you know I think any Norwich fans should, should take lightly at all and uh, especially under the lights I mean you know that Sheffield Wednesday are always going to bring a, a big fan base with them they've they always travel well so they're going to bring lots of noise they're going to be buoyed by you know two two pretty good results in recent weeks so yeah, I think it's going to be a real test. Um, and if this Norwich side under David Wagner has progressed in any capacity in terms of, of course, the results, but if they really want to try and sort of lay a marker, then they need to go and win that game ahead of ahead of that Ipswich game to try and breathe a little bit more confidence, you know, back into I suppose the Norwich fan base. After, particularly after today's result again, where you know I think it's, the mood was pretty pretty low again and the performance level wasn't great. So it feels like a really big game. Um, one for obviously the game itself to try and get three points but two yeah for the, the game at the weekend because yeah I think you'd be struggling to, to find many Norwich fans that are really kind of in a positive mood and feeling like they're going to go to Portman Road and, and get any form of result. Yes in, in, indeed it's, uh, it's it's a really interesting championship table uh, uh, at this moment in time QPR obviously improving at, at the bottom end um, which has kind of opened up the, the the relegation battle to an extent I think fortunately Norwich are probably watching in on that at the moment um, but but uh, only only six points behind behind Huddersfield in, in 21st so they play soon so these things can always uh, switch quickly but I, I certainly don't think we're we're going to be in those realms hopefully not anyway um, Paddy I mean you you, you kind of referenced January earlier I mean this maybe feels because December is going to be pretty relentless so I'm not quite sure we're, we're going to have an opportunity maybe to have this this conversation at other other uh, sort of uh, ventures. What what do you see Norwich City doing? Do you, how, how do you see them a, uh, approaching January? Do, do you think we, we will see incomings? Do you think it will be busier than, than, than other Januarys that, that have gone in, in the past? Certainly the noises from the AGM were that if, if Ben Napper could make a case for, for maybe a couple of, of additions that, that they'd be funded by, by Mark Atanasio and his group. That did seem to be the, the, the message, yeah. Um, and I think there will be business, but... Where, where would you look? Position-wise, in, in, in the well, team, where are you looking at that really feels like a priority? Well, before we get into specific, I, I, I just think everything about Napa and how he's carrying himself and, and the messaging that he has done in public, um, it's it's looked beyond January. I'm not here to come in immediately. Uh, the way I work, it's going to be an instant fix. It's not going to be a quick hit. We're not going to do, dare I say it, what they tried to do, obviously, in the summer, which is get a a collection of very seasoned professionals and almost one last hurrah type of thing in terms of being viable promotion candidates this season in the Championship. So far, that doesn't look like the case. I don't see Napa doing anything in January strategically in terms of player ins that is about a quick fix, that is about an instant, um, because that seems to run counter to what he's all about if, if we take all these public utterances that we've heard from him so far, which is 
building something sustainable, building something longer term, um, processes is the word you used earlier on. So with that in mind, I think that will be reflected in what he tries to do in January. I think the players he will look to identify and, and ideally bring in, which may need Atanasio particularly and his group to fund it, um, are going to be for the longer term. They're not going to be in the here and now. So that, for me, immediately feels allied to his comments about the profile in terms of the age and it's too tilted towards the older end of the spectrum. I think we're going to see some younger additions that aren't for the here and now that might not even, dare I say it, be anywhere near Norwich's first team for the rest of the season. It might be come in and then go out on loan type of players, but ones that Napa believes and the people around him who are making these decisions now that could benefit Norwich maybe from next season onwards. So could be proved wrong, but but that's my sense because that's every everything that he's spoken about so far about how he operates. In terms, of, So with that in mind, it's kind of irrelevant really in terms of positions. I, I just don't see them going, particularly again, going back to the previous segment about the Wagner comments on those discussions. It was very much Ben has mapped out this. These are Ben's ideas and they sound exciting. That None of that to me screams going and getting a 24-year-old centre-back to replace some aged centre-backs and allowing Kenny McLean going to centre midfield. It's not going out and splurging on a striker because, uh, A, they don't have the finances to do that. B, I don't think they feel they necessarily need to do that. So it's very hard to discuss specific positions because I don't think anything Napa does in January will be necessarily about in the here and now and between now and the end of this season, it will be about the future. But I can, having said all that, I can see defensively that he might look at it and feel, because he's spoken about a type of football he wants to play, and within that, I don't think Norwich have the centre-back profile to play that. And we've seen it, how exposed how exposed the Duffies and the Gibsons were. You know, Plymouth is the one that springs to mind that day. It was horrendous how, how, how poor they were in those areas, not just those two specifically, but the, the structure uh, and the the need to have in that system, but also how Napa wants to go about it. I think centre-backs, which are far more comfortable in possession, comfortable in one-on-one defending, athletically able to cope with being isolated and transition and turnovers. So if I was to be pushed on positions, I think it'll be central defensively because, you know, stands stands to reason on basis of what he said. Bart, Hanley, Gibson, Duffy, they're all the wrong side of 30. Um, They're not going to be in the, the mid to longer term solution of what Norwich looks like so we know there's Tompkinson we know there's Brad Hills we know there's even Warner even though again he doesn't seem to be able to convince David Wagner to get into a squad let alone the 11 there are younger options there but I just think maybe there's a gap between those players and where they are at the end of the spectrum so if I was going to have an educated guess then yeah I think defensively they'll look to do it there's a situation there at left back maybe with Yanoulis contractually he's out of contract next summer so is McCallum McCallum as well um don't really see anything in the academy or the 21s that is maybe ready to next cab off the rank. So does he look again with a mid to longer term view at left back position? So if you were to break it down into the three units, defence, midfield, attack, I think we're probably looking more defensively. It'd be interesting what he thinks maybe in terms of a specialist six, you know, this endless debate we have about Norwich and a lack of a recognised defensive midfielder, Liam Sorry, Adam Forshaw isn't, again, a mid to longer term solution. You might uncharitably say he's not a solution in the short term either on the, what he's produced so far. But uh, <laughs> <For real? laughs> how, could you, how can you dispute it? You know, when he's fit, has he really com- uh, contributed? Uh, not singling him out particularly, but uh, even though it sounds like it. But um, so, yeah, so defensively, I think. But I think we all have to you know, be very realistic in anything they do do which requires finance or not, it's not going to be 
for David Wagner to improve Norwich from, let's say, hypothetically 10th, 11th, 12th come the turn of the year to, to being in the top six. I just don't see that. As Adam Forshaw, uh, he's never coming on the pod. But uh, uh, I, I, I agree to an extent. I, th I think what's interesting is at the moment they have these kind of four post-Brexit slots available to them where they can essentially go and sign anyone from anywhere. It wouldn't surprise me to see some quite interesting additions from Europe um, and some of them slots used. But again, with a view maybe not to necessarily impact this season. And what I mean by that is, is players who come in and give them a real push to go and finish in the top six, but maybe players who will use the second half of the season as an adaptation for, for next season. I could I, I, I could see that um, I mean, the being the element. The is the obvious one, isn't it? You know, in terms of, like, you're talking slots for Brexit, there's slots for loans as well. I mean, does he have a very easy win there and go back to Arsenal and then try and winkle out some talented... Dare I say, don't say Marquinhos to me before you say anything. Well, 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 what, I, well what I was going to offer actually is, um, you know, the, the, we've, we've spoken a lot in this pod about long-term solutions. Is, is, is a loan in, in this kind of situation a, a long-term solution? Well, it doesn't no, necessarily no. feel that. It feels kind of a similar no, debate. It, to... it, it, I mean, then it's almost, you, you, can, you can then sell a loan in, in the sense of, well, that is in the here and now because it is necessarily, by definition, going to be only over a six-month period. But I just think the, the more tangible business that they look to do in January will be very much with a view to mid to longer term but yeah I mean if you can get some and the finances around these deals are correct and then that's where you probably can and I'm sure he's looking at that that's where you can get an instant hit and can get something which might give them a pep up from January onwards basically interesting it's, it's going to be interesting to see how it all unfolds um let's let's go around then and uh Sheffield Wednesday Sam I know he's going to win that game uh, I I didn't think they would. I thought they would win um, this I one. I thought they'd win this one. Yeah, yeah, when when you sort of gave me that theory of maybe winning this one and then struggling against Sheffield Wednesday, I, I agree with that. But now somehow I feel like they're going to sort of swap places. I feel like they might just winkle out a result against, um, against Sheffield Wednesday, to be honest. I, I don't really know why. It's just one of those sort of, gut feelings. I'm not sure it's going to be a, uh, a stellar performance or particularly any more entertaining than we've seen in the last two outings at Carrow Road. But um, yeah, in the spirit of optimism and going into the derby with some momentum, I'll say, yeah, probably not any more than one or two nil. But I just, I've just got a feeling now after today, for some reason, that, that they will win that game. Adam? For you, how do you see? It? I mean, it feels like he's he's got to give Science and Rowe a go from from the start. Would you agree with that? Well, I think you look kind of at the the last fifteen minutes of today's game when he brought Rowe and or well, Rowe's a bit before that, but Rowe and Science were both on. I thought that was probably the the moment in the game where Norwich put most well, most most chances created, um, probably looked the most dangerous. Uh, of course, the chance that Liam Gibbs got as well. I think that that was a spell of the game where maybe it felt like they actually could go and get the goal that they needed to win the game. So. I think if we see a starting eleven on on Wednesday night that doesn't have those two somewhere on the team sheet, then uh, I think there's going to be a lot of alarm bells ringing. Particularly then when they go to Portman Road, if he sort of goes down a similar route, I think they've they've almost got to go there and attack it rather than uh, almost take the game to Ipswich and attack it. I think they try and play negative football again, almost what what we've seen in recent weeks. I feel like Ipswich have got the quality um, and the attacking threat to, to pick them off quite comfortably and and win the game. So um, yeah, but I am quite. I actually feel quite confident for during the week. Weirdly enough, uh, I think despite Sheffield Wednesday's upturn in form, I think look at the the players across the board there and kind of the turmoil they had in the summer. 
I feel like they're still a side that's probably destined to, to get relegated again. So um, I think Norwich will win the game. Uh, not comfortably, but I think they'll scrape through and, and get an important three points ahead of what will be a you know big test on, on the Sunday or Saturday lunchtime. Is there yeah. any real likelihood he actually starts science? Because you mentioned... I don't, uh, I don't know, it's, it's, it's like, uh, you know, do dragons exist? Is the earth flat? It's I, in those well, sort of well, I agree with you. It feels externally like science and row have to have to um, have to start, but it feels like almost a moot point now. We've got to this point where it's like, does, just does he fancy him? No, is he, is he even a real person? <laughs> you asking me that? No, no, I'm not asking you. <laughs> okay. <laughs> Paddy, Sheffield Wednesday, uh, I think it will be quite similar, but Norwich will sca- scrape through, is, is my version. I think, I think we'll have kind of what we had today with maybe a goal or two. Well, let's hope so. Yeah, no, I thought four points from six was the spread for these two games, and it'll have to be a win now. And um, Must win? Yes, must win, yeah, no doubt about it, for, for many reasons. And probably less amongst them is the status in the championship table, just for the, you know, we talked about the car road drudge, so uh, you know it's, it's a to counterpoint to that, um, but to labour this theme. I mean, if Fashnacht and Hernandez start again on Wednesday, then we might as well all go home. <laughs> all right, that's Onel Hernandez, and they're <laughs> not coming on the pod either. That's, that's the way it goes. Should we speak about these lovely shirts that we've got with uh, with Coleman's on, just to to wrap the pod? Sam, uh, and I say thank you to Billy for providing these. Yeah. There's some lovely coat hangers as well, so that's that's appreciated because it's made them nice and easy to hang on. What's, what's your favourite of the bunch that we've got here? My favourite design by some distance is the goalkeeper one. Oh, it's a classic goalkeeper. Uh, yeah, I, I love it. I love it. It's uh, It does sort of take a chance, but I think the colours are quality. I do... I wonder I if that's... I think it's from that era, you know, when they just used to make goalkeeper shirts really funky because someone said that it made, like... It put off strikers. Can you remember, can that, you remember that, that theory? theory? I didn't know that was the theory, but it sort of makes sense. I'm not sure if that would have gone with a, a home kit because it is orange, which you wouldn't really normally say would go well with an orange kit. But no, I love the design. To be fair, all, it was a pretty good era for for Norwich City kit designs. I hate this one, to be honest. I hate the design of that one. But apart from that... Apart from the Coleman's, which is great. Yeah, the Coleman's is amazing and good I love life. it. I love it loads. But... um yeah, the rest. <laughs> the rest, I actually really love the designs of. So it's a it's a great selection of shirts. Yeah. Paddy, your favourite amongst amongst these? You can't pick the blue one. Well, to be fair, I know it's not technically the, the shirt that's hanging up, but I mean, I like the Edie one. I think uh, you know, stylish man that Darren is there. He's he's modelling it perfectly. Fine wine, isn't he? He's got better with age. Yeah, I don't know about the yellow shorts. I don't think that was ever that a winner. That was controversial. Yeah, I know. It? I remember. Yeah, but uh, I do like the design of the shirt. I like the uh, the collar particularly. Um, wouldn't buy it obviously because I'm a Coventry fan, but uh, uh, but of the ones hanging up, I quite like that one there. That's quite the goalie shirt. That's well, no, the one next to it, the the red red, one. yeah. The tra- is that a training top? Is it? Yes, yeah. it is. Yeah, so so that's Coleman's is on the back of that. Yeah. Um, but as as is as is the blue one, they were, they were yeah, sort of all designed by by Pony, which was uh, yeah, a good era of shirts. Yeah. Some, the badges look really interesting, they look really wide to me. I like the white one. That's probably my favourite. Although the I like the, one. the the badge placement is a I don't like a middle badge. It's, I really it's, like it's a middle idea. badge. I think that's poor shout for me to be honest. Adam, yeah, I think the what I'm a sort of big fan of white football shirts. I don't know what it is. I think like one of my favourite Norwich shirts of all time was the Aviva white white and black shirt they had uh, sort of Premier League times. Uh, yeah, any, any white shirt, whether it's I think I've got a Roma shirt at home that's a white one with kind of a really wacky design. Any white shirt, um, the mud stains all over them. There's something about it that I really love. 
they haven't had a white shirt for a while, have they? Can you tell it was a nil-nil today, by the way? Yes. <laughs> <laughs> Stretching out. That that's, that's maybe seems like an... an when was the last time they had a white shirt? Certainly not for a few years, is it? That's, that's an answer for our listeners slash, slash watchers. Slash Billy. Slash Billy, yeah, who, who will know this. Yeah, by the way, his know. collection is incredible. I went, I went to his house to have a look, and I think he said to me, over 600 Norwich shirts. Just, just insane. I think we're, we're, we'll hopefully maybe do a piece on it. He's got some brilliant ones in there, like Milk Cup uh, final winning match-worn shirts and uh, a couple of Bellamy shirts I saw from this kind of era, which were, which were great. Um, there's, there's brilliant ones. So I think we'll, I might we'll try and the last white one. go on. In 2018-19, they barely ever wore it, but they had. It was white. It had one yellow strip and one green strip. They yes. must have wore it about twice. Oh, right. Yeah, would, yeah would, you, would you a white one? So there you go. To uh, who makes the kits? Joma and and, and and those in Norwich City Marketing Department. Nice white kit, please. That would be nice. Thank you very much for watching, for listening. Thank you to our sponsors, Coleman's, and um, we will see you for a rare midweek pod after Sheffield Wednesday. Thank you for uh, for joining us to bask in the glory of that goalless draw. <laughs>